the weeks, this is uh, what a lot of people call the great I am statements. Uh, and so uh, Jesus is revealing himself to the disciples as they go through their ministry with him. Uh, I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the light of the world. Uh, all of these kind of different I am's. And there's seven that he gives throughout uh, the, while he's here as a way to reveal himself to the disciples, who his followers. And today we're going to look at I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so John chapter 14, our passage that we're going to look at today, follows right at the after the Lord's Supper. Uh, and he's told the disciples that he's going to be going away. So he said, I'm, I, you can't come where I'm going, I'm, I'm going away. And then he's also told Peter, he's gonna, you're going to deny me three times. He's also leaned over to John and he's told John that Judas has betrayed him. And so the disciples, all of them, have this turmoil that's going on in their lives. And it's coming very quickly. And Jesus is trying to prepare them for his departure. He's about to be arrested in the garden. Judas has already uh, betrayed him. He's already uh, talked with the religious leaders. They are probably on their way at this point. He's only hours away from being arrested and taken before the Sanhedrin and the process of the scourging and the crucifixion are underway at this point. So he's trying to tell the disciples one last thing, one more teaching before he goes. And so, but the big thing is that they are going to all be greatly troubled. They're going to be troubled because their, their trusted Messiah is leaving them. They're troubled because they feel that they're going to somehow betray him. They're, going, they're, they're troubled because they don't know what to do now. I don't know if you've ever been in that place in your life where life around you just seems to be falling apart, seems to be just crumbling. The earth beneath your feet is collapsing, and you are greatly troubled. And so Jesus comes to them with this teaching, and he says this in verse 1. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be, or be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, you would have known the Father also. But now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so let's start with verse 1. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. It's not a sin for us to be troubled. Uh, Jesus in the garden, when he was praying, praying, he had sweat drops of blood. He's, I mean, he's, he is in agony in consideration of what's to come. It's not a sin to be troubled. What Jesus is saying is not to allow these troubles to consume us, to overtake us, to overwhelm us. And so, uh, how do we keep our concerns about life from consuming us? How do we keep these things from overwhelming us? What, what do we do as a follower of Christ? And so Jesus gives us some teachings here. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. He's the founder of the, what's known as the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. So he was a missionary from way back. And he, he, he said this, Let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all, right into God's hands. And then when we have given all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about. 
And so what we're going to see over the things that he's going to be talking about and this, these, these steps that Jesus is going to be giving us about not having a, letting your hearts be troubled is that at the end of the day, we're going to be giving everything over to him. We're going to be giving him our lives, our reputations, our work, our, our hobbies. We're going to give Jesus everything, put all those things over to him. And then at the end of the day, we won't have anything left to worry about because they're all in his hands. And we're doing what he has called us to do. We're doing what he has directed our lives to go in. And therefore, he's in charge of everything. So we're going to come back to that. But to keep worry from consuming us is faith and prayer in a triune God, a trinity of God. You've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to see all of these things play out. Philippians 4, verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there is a giving over in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. It's a giving over to Christ and understanding that he is in charge of everything. And so Jesus says to disciples, believe in God. Believe also in me. So it's very important for the disciples to understand who Jesus really is. Who Jesus is. And it's, it's very important for us as his followers to understand who is Jesus. Right? Was he just a man? Was he a great teacher? Was he a moral guy? Who, who was Jesus at the end of the day? And our understanding in that is very important. Jesus is the Son of God. He's revealed himself as the bread of life, the true vine, the good shepherd, uh, the light of the world. All of these things are, an, are help us understand who Jesus is. And so uh, he took on human flesh. We see this in John 1 in the beginning. And then he took on human flesh and he appeared amongst us. He, uh, he uh, lived amongst his creation. And so he's telling his disciples that they need to believe in him in the way that he has revealed himself to them. We do not have the choice of saying, what do you, who do you think Jesus is? And you come up with your own like stuff. I think he's a great guy, he was whatever. That those things really have no consequence. The Bible has a very specific picture and understanding of who Jesus is. And, and our understanding is rooted in that, then our anxiety and our troubledness will ease if we understand who Jesus is. So how we interp interpret the trials of life is directly related to our understanding of God. We say that God is all-powerful, right? We say, we, you know, we looked at this in a sermon series we did back that he's all-powerful, but yet we somehow don't think he can do something in our situation, right? The, our situation is beyond his power to do anything about. We say that God is all-knowing, but somehow he doesn't understand what you are going through. He, doesn't, he can't comprehend your problem. Right? We would say that, uh, that he is love, yet you suffer and are going through pain, and he somehow is not aware of that, or that he wants you to experience pain and suffering, yet God is love. Like all, all of these things are rooted in our idea of who is Jesus, who is God, what is he like? So for the disciples, things are about to get really bad for them. Uh, it's it's going to be very difficult for them to, to go through the things that they are about to go against them. And it would be very easy for them to begin to think, maybe we have made a mistake. Maybe we have failed. Maybe God is mad at us. Maybe he has abandoned us. What, what, maybe God has, you know, we get all these false ideas that it was easy for the disciples to fall into that trap once Jesus was gone. And same, same is true for us. 
right? You go through a difficult time, you lose a loved one, or your a marriage breaks up, or whatever it might be, and suddenly you're like, Jesus hates me, God is against me. Those things are just simply not true. That is not the God of the Bible. And so we have to understand, if I'm going to go through these things, what is God like? Romans 8 28 says we all and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose when Jesus says that he's going away like I'm going to go away he's not abandoning the disciples right our God does not abandon us he doesn't leave us so there is a purpose in plan as to why he is leaving he has gone he says I go to prepare a place for you and so the emphasis of the father's house again if you're reading your King James version uh, it's going to say that he's going to prepare a mansion for you right the, but the the idea is not um, the idea is that Jesus is providing a space there's plenty of room for those who have faith in the Son it's not about us living in a mansion it's about us living with Jesus uh, when we get to heaven, Jesus is emphasizing that there is a place for you to be with him. He's preparing heaven so there is a space to be with him for all of eternity. The focus is on the relationship. He says, we'll take you to myself and that where I am, you may be also. The whole point of eternity and the whole point of him going to prepare a place for us is so that when it's time to join him, we will be with him for all of eternity. It's about a relationship. 2 Corinthians 5, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, that's our body, right? If we know that our earthly body is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He has gone to prepare a place. And so Jesus is leaving, but while he's away, he's preparing a heaven uh, for his own, and then one day we'll return. So this is the second part of understanding Jesus. First is that he's going away. He's going to prepare a place for us. There is an eternal home. Then also there will be a point when he will return and gather those of him who follow him and take them to heaven. There's a preparing, and I'm going to come and gather you once again. Verse 4, you know the way to where I am going. This, is, this throws the disciples for a loop. You know the way. Like, you know the way. Jesus then points them to his teachings. He has been teaching them for three and a half years, right? So imagine you're the teacher. You've taught math to your students an entire school year. And then you turn to them and you present them with the test. Here's the test of all the things that we've learned this year. And they look at you and they go, were we studying math? Like, what? You don't get it. Like, he, so, so they've got a library in their brain full of miracles they've experienced, parables that Jesus has taught. Uh, he's, 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 uh, he's, he's lived a life before them for three and a half years. They have followed him closely all this time. And he's like, in that bank in your brain, in all the things that I have taught you, is the, you know the way to where I'm going by my teachings that I have given you. So he's saying you need to go back and think about all the things that I have taught you for the past three and a half years and within that information is the way to heaven. And so they're like, oh no, right? They're concerned. 
Jesus is expecting them to remember and to have applied his teachings to their lives. To be able to take from this library that we said and apply it to live out a Christian life, which the early church will call the way, based on what they have learned from Jesus. Jesus still expects his disciples to do this. We have the privilege of having a copy of all of Jesus, well actually it's not all of Jesus' teaching because there's actually a passage that says if they were to include everything you couldn't put it within this room, right? It'd be this massive book that you can't carry around. So they got the stuff that God presented to us, the information he wants us to have, which we have in the scriptures. So we could take and flip through and look at and reference and even flip to the back, cross-reference all kinds of information about God, Jesus, his teachings, so that when we encounter these hard times, these troubles, these times in which our hearts are troubled, we go to his word and we have it presented there to us. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples, you have the information you need to know how to get to where I'm going. This is why I believe that Bible study and prayer and all of these things are so important because Jesus expects us as his followers to know what his word says so that when we incur, encounter these hard times, these difficult times, we have an accurate understanding of who God is and how do we deal with this topic, this problem, this time, this trial, these things that we are going through. He has not left us. When we hear comments such as, you know, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Or all religions will lead men to heaven. Or creeds and doctrines and those things really just aren't that important. As long as we just love each other. Jesus clears all that up because he says this. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? This is where things become very important because if no one comes to God except through Jesus, we need to have an accurate understanding of who Jesus is and what is this way that he has provided. Because he, he's either a liar, he's either lying here, and if he's lying and saying there's probably some other way, right? There's some other way to heaven other than him. And he says, I am the way, the way, not a way, I am the way then we, we don't need to trust him if he's going to lie about this. But if he's speaking the truth, and he says, I am the way, and he actually is the Messiah, and he is the way to heaven for eternal life, then we need to understand who this Jesus is. Right? When he says, I am the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father except by me. So Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? I, just, I love Thomas right? People give, people give Thomas a hard time because he's called Doubting Thomas, you know, and he's, you know, unless I can point to the whatever and the whatever, I'm not going to believe. He's just saying what everybody else is thinking. Thomas is the guy that looks around because he says, we, he's speaking as a spokesperson. He's looking around like, I know you guys don't understand what he's talking about, right? He's like, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way, right? Thomas is just, he, instead of just pretending like, oh yeah, I know exactly what Jesus is talking about. Instead of pretending he just comes right out and says, look, I don't get what you're talking about, Jesus. If, you, if we don't know where you're going, how are we going to know how to get there? He just comes out and he just asks him. So we're going to see that, G, that he's asking, he has a representative of everything else that they're saying. So Jesus not only shows people here how to go to heaven, but he himself is going to become the way. Look at how Jesus responds to Thomas's question. 
He says, I am the way. We don't know how to get there. We don't know where we're going. How are we going to know how to get there? Jesus responds by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is going to be with the Father in heaven. That's what he's saying. I am leaving here. I am going to be with the Father in heaven. He is speaking of the way to God. How do I get to God? Jesus is not only shows people how to go to heaven, but he himself is the way. He's going to lay down his life for the salvation of mankind. He is the way to heaven. But you need all three of these things that Jesus mentions for salvation. The way, the truth, and the life. You need all three. The way speaks of the connection between the two. You have heaven and you have man. How do you get there? That's the way, the means. How do we get to heaven? The way. The truth reminds us the complete reliability of what Jesus has said and who he is. We have to have the truth because if we don't have the truth, then we're going to go a false way, which is not going to take us where we need to go. He has to be truthful in who he is. So you have a way, and then you have the truth that gets you on the way. The way, the truth, and the life. And when he talks about the life, we see that Jesus is at, in the, in, if you look at the first part of John, he has always existed in all of eternity. So anything that has life came from him. He was at the beginning at creation. And then we have, in the Gospels, it helps us to understand that he is the sustainer of life. And so the fact that everything still runs and the fact that these little molecules or atoms are spinning and all of that stuff makes sense and it all works, the Creator is holding those things in place. He's making it, He's sustaining the creation. And at the end of time, He will judge creation. And in the meantime, He has laid down His life as the Creator for His own creation. And so He is the life. Anything that has life comes from Him. Anything that continues to have life he continues all of that stuff all of life comes from Jesus he says I am the way the truth and the life he is the source of everything and then in verse 7 from now on from now on you do know him and have seen him up until this point the disciples did not truly know God the Father because the Son was continually to reveal information Right? This is why you have the parables and you have all these different, uh, the, 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 the good shepherd and the light of the world and, and the true vine and all these different things. He's, he's revealing who God is over a period of time. And then now this time is now coming to an end. Right? This is the last supper. They've just left the last supper. He's about to be arrested and crucified. He will die. He will be raised again. And then in the early part of Acts, we see that he ascends into heaven. So all of these things... But the time here is very short. His time of revealing things of who God is and who he is and all that is, is winding down. It's coming to an end. So that the, who, that the, how do we know what God is? How do we know what's he like? We, just, we look at Jesus and he's almost finished revealing the information that he wants to give to mankind. But... From this point on in history, it was now possible to know God. How do I know God? I look at Jesus. All the teachings, the way he lived his life out, who is God? What's he like? You just look at Jesus. Jesus is a picture. He is the example. He is God. If we want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. That's, that's what Jesus is saying here. 
So Jesus shows us how to know God and what he is like. So if you think God is cruel, do you see anywhere in scriptures where Jesus was cruel? If you think God is misogynistic or, or uh, all these other things, look to Jesus. Where do you see that in the Gospels? Where do you see that as a picture of Jesus? Do I see Jesus as loving? Yes, kind, yes, forgiving, yes, all merciful, yes. All those things that you see in the Gospels, that is what God is like. Secondly, Philip said to him, Lord, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and he is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So again, this conversation is given in the context of do not let your hearts be troubled. Right? Do not let your hearts be troubled. And so Philip says in so many words, if we could just see the Father, then our hearts would be uh, uh, appeased, that we would be restful. If we could just see God, then I know we're going to go through these troubles, but then everything would just be okay if I could just see the Father. And so Philip asked Jesus to show them God the Father, and Jesus responds by saying, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus answers the question, What is God like? Just look at Jesus. Verse 9, Jesus said to them, Have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? It was Philip, remember, in the first part of John that went to get Nathaniel. Look at look in verse 145, John 145. Philip told Nathanael, and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. That's the Messiah. We found the Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Right, we found him. Philip knew Jesus was the Messiah, but even at this point, after three and a half years, he's still filling up with understanding of what does that mean. Jesus is still teaching them what does that mean for him to be God, for him to be the, the promised one, that even in Genesis chapter 3, remember the fall, and there's this promise that there's one to come. He's fulfilling the prophecy. He's, he's teaching them all these things all along the way. So now they still don't get it. He's like, you've been with me for three and a half years. I've been teaching you all these things so far. You still are not able to put those pieces together yet. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In the Old Testament, the prophets beheld the visible glory of God. Do you remember that the God would appear in the tabernacle, and he would appear in the temple, and he would appear to the Old, Old Testament prophets. All of those appearances of God in the Old Testament are the same God that when the disciples see Jesus sitting on the shore cooking them fish is the same person, the same God. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. All those Old Testament prophets, when they would see those things, guess who they're seeing? They're seeing Jesus. That's, that's the thing. It's like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That we're, we're, I am in him and he is in me. They did not know that he who appeared in visible glory with Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and all the other holy men saw was none other 
than the companion that they had walked with and spoke with at this moment. It's the same God. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's the same God. If you want to know what God is like or what He looks like, all these things, just look at Jesus. That's the picture that we've been given. Believe in me. Believe me that I am the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus is encouraging the disciples to have faith in him, but it's not a blind faith. It's not just you just got to believe. But it's a faith that includes a recognition that Jesus, what he says is true. Like if we're talking about salvation. How am I saved? How, am I, how do I follow this way? How do I get from where I am to heaven? Jesus is the way, right? What he says has to be true. Jesus' invitation is not to a lifestyle change it's, or a different way of thinking like meditation. Jesus is not encouraging people to add something to their life that's going to make them happier or wealthier or whatever. Those things are of no consequence. That's not what Jesus is saying. It is an invitation to a relationship with God that requires you to give everything. The disciples dropped their nets and left to follow Jesus. It's a, it's a total giving of oneself to this Jesus. And if you don't understand who this Jesus is, then you will not put those connections together. Jesus was not just a good man. He was not just a, a moral teacher. He was the Son of God, who was God, who came to earth, who lived a sinless life out in front of the disciples. And at the end, he calls them. He says, come and follow me. And he is the way to salvation. And here he is telling us, he is the way to heaven. No one comes to the Father except through him. And so he wants us to understand he's not just a guy. He is God. And what is God like? You look at him. All those examples in the Old Testament, that's who we're talking about. You're following God. You're giving your life to God. Then verse 11, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Right? So that's one of the reasons why Jesus performs all the miracles that he does. Right? He specifically heals people to point to the work, to point to what he is saying that he is. John 5, 36, for the works of the Father has given me to accomplish. That's the stuff that he's doing. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The works, the miracles point to he is who he says he is. He points to the fact he has been sent by the Father to do these things. In verse 11, or else believe on the counts themselves. These are the very works that he's doing. So the faith in Jesus is not just a mental belief. Right? So we put our faith in him. It's not just a mental belief, but it's a belief, a faith that drives one to action. Right? So you say, well, how do I know I'm saved? Right? I, I believe that Jesus is this. I believe what the Bible says. Uh, I, but how do I know I'm saved? This is the last part here. Right? So we look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you. We see this several times throughout the Gospels. This is the, listen, this is important. Heads up, pay attention. Right, this part, what I'm about to say is important. When Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you, right, that's important. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. 
Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So the book of Acts, if you, go, if you jump ahead a book, right? So you go to the book of Acts. That is a picture of what happens once Jesus ascends into heaven. That's a picture of the early church. There are some miracles. There's some in the book of Acts. But the major emphasis, the huge push, is the power of conversion. You begin to see thousands of people become, become saved. Thousands of people put their faith in Jesus Christ, right? The book of Acts is what happens when he ascends. He's out of the picture. Then salvation begins to spread, right? It begins to take hold. So the emphasis is on the mighty works of conversion. And so there's many people saved during Jesus' ministry, obviously, right? He's Jesus. I mean, many people gave their faith to him. But now, take the church and multiply that over the generations that have happened since then. Millions upon millions upon millions of people have given their heart to Christ. So when he says, your works will be greater, he's not talking about raising the dead. and He's not talking about that. What he's saying is, the work, the true work of Jesus is salvation of mankind, conversion. That is the true work that begins to happen within the church, and that has spread through generations. He says, your work's going to be greater than what I have done. Also think about the geographic location where Jesus was. If you look at just where he was in the world, it's a fairly limited geographic space. Now think about how much the gospel has spread around the world, right? I mean, Jesus has, Jesus has taken through his disciples the gospel and salvation has spread all around the world. And when the gospel has reached, it says, every tribe and every tongue and every language, then the end will come, right? In, then Christ will return. But until that day... We, the church, is to be faithful going and sharing the gospel. But it has spread all around the world. You have people who dedicate their lives to translating it into their own language. And there's thousands of languages that still yet to be transcribed, translated. It says, but whatever you, and then he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And then the very next sentence, look at it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It's, he says the same thing twice, like right behind each other. Both of these are promises from God based on the disciples' desire to make Christ's name known. Right? So those that are engaged in the work of conversion, of sharing the gospel with other people, those that want to glorify God and make his name lifted up, those people that are involved in the work, then you can pray and ask God, there will be needs that will come up. To say, we are, Lord, we are trying to reach this people or we are trying to do these things, but we have this need. He will provide that. If you are reading this verse through the, through the selfish lens of saying, well, Jesus said I could ask for anything I want and I can get it. No, that's in the context of the work of Christ. If your heart's desire is to see his name lifted up and to see your brother or sister led to Christ, if you, if, you just ha if you could do it but you feel like you have this need, then you pray about those things, he will provide it. So it's in the context of work. So if you say, well, Drew, how do I know I'm saved? Are, he says, you're going to do what Jesus did. Are you doing what Jesus did? And that's where, that's where he leaves us in 14. This is the work of Christ and prayer are also expected to go hand in hand. So as we 
work, we pray, uh, as we uh, lay our concerns at Jesus' feet, as we get anxious and we get overwhelmed, we lay these things before the Lord, we pray and we, with uh, thanksgiving and supplication and those things that the passage talked about, we lay those things at the heart, at the feet of Christ, and he takes those things off of us. So here's the first question today is, do you know Jesus? If you thought Jesus was some good moral teacher, but you didn't understand that he was God, then perhaps he's used this passage to say, I need to put my faith and trust in Christ, the Son of God, as the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through him. So have you given Christ your heart today? Have you put your faith and trust in him? It says, uh, he, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Just, we have to pray. We have to confess to him and he will for, forgive us of all unrighteousness. doesn't matter what it is. We just put our faith and trust in him. He will forgive us. We have a relationship with him. We, one of the things that we're going to look at with Vacation Bible School this year is ABC. We're, you, the kids will hear this again and again. You admit that you're a sinner. And so every person has to have a time where they've admitted that they have sinned against a holy and righteous God. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You have to understand who Jesus is. He's not some great guy. He is the Son of God who came, who died on the cross for us. We believe in that Jesus, the Bible Jesus. And then we confess him as our Lord and Savior, which means that uh, we confess that we have sinned, but we say, Lord, you are in charge. I want to give my life to you. I'm going to lay everything down. I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. We confess him as Lord and Savior. Have you done that? I want to lead us in a prayer in just a moment. I encourage you to, to have a relationship with God through Jesus. And a way to do that is, is to, uh, to just pray. You're just talking to Jesus. That's all it is. So let's, let's all pray. Lord, I pray for the person in this room who's never given their heart and their life to you. But Lord, I've, they feel that the Holy Spirit, they feel like they need to make a decision. Lord, they feel that drawing. They've realized that they are separated from you and they desire to become, to be forgiven of their sin, to follow you the rest of their life. And so, friend, if that's you in this room, you could say a prayer something like this, just to yourself. You don't even have to say it out loud. It's a conversation between you and Jesus. Lord, I admit to you right now that I am a sinner. I have done things that I know displease you that go against your word. I believe that you came to die on the cross for me. I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that you are the only way that I will be forgiven of my sin. Please forgive me for my sin. I confess you as my Lord, which means I'll follow you the rest of my life I lay everything at your feet and my Savior. Lord, your word says that no one comes to the Father except through, through you. I believe that. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Greg's going to come, and we're going to sing a song that we just call our Song of Invitation, which is just an opportunity for you to, to do something with what you feel the Lord is calling you to do. It could be you just want to pull that card out on the back pew. You want to write me a note and you hand it to me on your way out. Could be you want to come and just and I'll pray with you at the front. Could be you just want to come and uh, and, and kneel at the altar. 
Could be that you want to join the church. Could be, I don't know what God could be moving in your heart, but we just want to give you that opportunity. So at the end of every service, we just have a time of invitation where we kind of do that because who knows how God's working in all of our hearts. So Greg's going to lead us. I want to be standing here at the front.